0: Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied Das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht Komm
1: dir entgegen... Hello welcome to Gag the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you this week?
2: Uh, Bryce, very well, thanks. Stumbling towards the season slowly now. Pre-season games have got underway, so um, a couple of weeks and we'll be back to match day action.
1: Yes, we will. Very eager for it, aren't we? But, as always, we say we've got plenty to discuss, haven't we? Um, joining uh, Chris and I, um, as always, is uh, Manu Vett as well. Manu, you're still in Germany, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I'm still here. Um Last 24 hours before I'm heading back to the the west coast it's been a long trip, two months um, very exciting. We just chatted off the we started this trip started when you guys arrived in Germany, and that feels like a lifetime ago and yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So when is it you go back to Canada? I'm going back on Tuesday morning, so yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready to ready go home, see my wife, see my cat,
1: see my house, sleep in my own bed. It's going to be nice. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Well, anyway, guys, let's jump in because we've got plenty to talk about uh, this week, as I mentioned. Um, After the uh, Confederations Cup, uh, we're now starting to see uh, some of the uh, German players move clubs. And uh, one of them that's moved to the UK is Antonio Rudiger uh Chris so what can you tell us um about Rüdiger? You uh you seem to be very impressed when you've seen him play for the national side. But he's moved from Roma to chelsea hasn't he um tell tell us a little bit about what type of player he is uh and whether you think uh, he'll be able to fit the uh, Premier League.
2: I think he will fit the Premier League um, like a hand to a glove. Uh, He's an excellent player, really impressed me throughout the Confederations Cup. Um, He was sort of thrown into an unfamiliar role. He's normally more used to playing in a bit of a back four, but he's such a versatile defender. Chelsea have got themselves a real gem. I don't know many defenders who can play right back, left back. And can also play either on the right or left side of centre back, and that's what they've got. They've got a, a very multi-role defender. Um, he's a big lad as well. You know, he's a bit of a giant. Uh, sticks right out. Um, he's, I think he's just going to set the um, the league on fire. I mean, he's he's not, he's just shy of two meters, which which is incredible. He's uh, he's one meter ninety-one centimeters, so that's pretty tall. Um, and again, they're getting a, a guy who's starting to come towards his prime he's 24 years old so by the time he's settled um, I think he's going to be a real good uh, purchase for Chelsea I was really impressed with him in the Confederations Cup because he operated in that three which he's not used to and He's, although he's a big lad and he's very powerful, he's also got this, um pace to be able to track back, and we saw that Joachim Lowe brought him in for certain games to, to neutralise the pace. I think one of them was against the Mexicans, wasn't it? He? he wanted to neutralise the Mexican pace, so he, he stuck with Rudiger right back um, on the right-hand side, and also he's, he's played on the left-hand side occasionally, but... He is a really, really good player. And Roma seems to have, I mean, I don't watch that much Serie A, but they've let a couple of really good players go um, out of the transfer window. I'm surprised they let him go, but obviously, you know, they think they can um, backfill that position. But Chelsea have got themselves a really good player. Um, and I will watch his, uh, I'll watch his performances in the Premier League with interest because I think he's got all the wherewithal about him to become probably one of the best defenders in the league.
1: Amani, how do you feel about this move? Do you think it's a good one for a player and club?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting one because it was actually already supposed to happen last year. But then he got hurt at the training camp for the German national team for the European Championships. He tore his ACL, I believe. And he was already pretty much signed at Chelsea. Everything was gone through and, um, you know, in a ruptured ACL, that's a six-month break. Didn't take him quite that long. He came back pretty quick and, you know, recovered very well and has played some 26 games. I believe he played for Roma last season, despite, you know, starting with, with an injury like um, a heavy injury like that. And, um, that's something that impressed me, but it meant, of course, that the last summer the deal was off. Conte, Antonio Conte really wanted him at Chelsea last summer. And we all kind of expected that this deal would happen if he can confirm his, um, his abilities, you know, for one season at Roma. And then he did. He, he played very well. And then he played very well at the Confederations Cup. I thought he was actually one of the best players at that tournament simply because despite his size. And, you know, Chris, you mentioned that. And that's something that I pointed out doing all the previous that we did at the comfort cup that because he's, he is a big lad. I met him after the game, um, after the final against Chile. And, you know, I see eye to, saw eye to eye to him. You both know, I'm quite tall myself. I'm almost two meters myself. And I looked eye to eye to him and he's a big guy. I think he's 95 kilograms as well. Um, so that's, you know, there's a big frame there, but he, he doesn't move like a big guy. He's very agile. He's very quick. He, he does very well, you know, turning and um, getting across really fast and he's he's very good at playing in that three-man back in the defense and one of the big questions going into this tournament was you know, you have Joachim Löw switching to three defenders in the back who's going to be the third defender in the back next to Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng and I think during the tournament we got the answer because Antonio Rüdiger was the best of the Defenders playing for Germany on a regular basis, and we know that Conte at Chelsea likes to play with three in the back, right, guys? So I think he's going to be an excellent fit there, and I think it's um, something that is a bit overdue because of his performance levels. And I, I think he's going to be a marvelous player there. I'm, I'm actually going to definitely follow his his next few steps. I'm, I'm, you know, with the player he is and the abilities that he has and you know German players there's a bit of history there at Chelsea with Balak of course having done quite well there so I think he will fit in quite well
2: I think what we've seen this last you know 48 72 hours um, especially in Premier League has been some quite highly inflated prices um, and he's been bought for just under 30 million pounds um, which I think is a fantastic um, I'm going to say bargain for Chelsea because I'd say it's. I mean, his market value is under that at 20 million pounds, but we all know that market value doesn't really mean anything these days. But for them to get him for 29 million, I think that's a really good steal considering some of the prices that have gone. Especially if you look at how much Lukaku's just cost. Now, sometimes it's hard to to say. You know The difference between strikers and defenders, strikers will always sometimes uh, take a little bit more money and they'll always be a little bit more expensive. But inflated prices tend to lead to inflated prices everywhere. So for them to get in for £29 million, pounds, I think that's a fantastic deal.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting deal too because I think it, that's the deal that they negotiated last season. And I almost wonder if they had that deal already in place and they just concluded it. This season, you know, they just, they parked him there to see how he does, because that's exactly the kind, the number that floated around last year and it hadn't, hasn't moved a bit. And, you know, now we see that transfer concluded. It was pretty much an open secret and Chelsea got their man, Roma made a handsome profit and another club that made a handsome profit is Stuttgart because they actually had a clause in that they, I think, I believe they get 20% off from this deal. So that's, that's a nice, uh you know, little bonus for Stuttgart there with 6 million euros. German clubs can do a lot of things with six million euros, so I I expect that Stuttgart will really benefit from this uh, quite significantly.
1: And uh, Manu, if, if you you spoke about uh, Rudiger moving to your into the back three of, of Chelsea, and that could fit pretty well. Um, do you see that Rudiger moving into the back three? uh you know, for the German national side on a permanent basis. Obviously, he was there for the confederation side, but you know, that, that was more of what was labeled a B team as such, wasn't it? Uh, do, do you see him being able to step up soon and, and playing in that back three for the so called A team?
3: Well, it was, there was always speculation before the tournament that the two players that could take the role next to Hummels and Boateng would, you know, favorites to take that role would be Rudiko or Mustavi. And Rüdiger was, you know, had a far better tournament than Mustavi did at the Confederations Cup. And Löw remembers those things. And now playing at Chelsea in the Champions League, that's going to help him quite a bit too. Mustavi hasn't, I I think Mustavi is a very good defender and a very talented defender, but he hasn't really ever blown me away. You know, I've never seen a very big standout performance by him. And the other thing, you know, he gave away the ball, um, in that goal that Sanchez scored. And, um, there was a few wobbles with him during the tournament. So I think that Rüdiger is probably the better bet. And Rüdiger, you know, is, is, is a big guy and he can play football. You know, he can open up the, open up from behind. And he, as Chris rightfully mentioned, he can play right back and left back as well. He's quite good at that. And I think that makes him, very makes it very easy for him to, to to play that position. So I I expect you know we'll see him regularly starting for Germany now.
1: Nice, well, exciting times for Chelsea. Um, seems like uh, they've got themselves a hell of a bargain, as Chris said. Everyone seems to be uh, moving for seventy million these days, or rumored for that. So um, yeah, let, let's just see how he gets on. Hopefully, it all goes well for him. But uh, speaking of defenders uh, moving clubs, uh, Chris. Uh, Dortmund have uh, let go of uh, Matthias Ginter and he's moved on to uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, for what's talked about 17 million euros. Uh, were you surprised by this? Were you disappointed? Or do you think this is going to be a better move maybe for the player? Or you know, What's your view as a, a bit of a, a Dortmund fan?
2: I think this is a really good move for him. Since he arrived at Dortmund for Freiburg a few years back, there's always been talk. Is he going to go the end of each year? So he's finally gone now, and he's he's been wobbly on occasions, um, and and evidently wobbly. Um, I mean, you think we look back, at one of the Hertha Berlin game, I think, where he was there and he was you know one of the wobbliest. Um, it it just didn't. It, I don't, I'm not going to say he wasn't good enough to play for Dortmund. He seemed to be um, a a square peg in a round hole, um, and and he, you know, he played plenty of times last season. Uh, he played 29 Bundesliga games. He played eight Champions League games. Played um, in the Pokal, Played in the final. Played at um, defensive midfield in the final. Obviously, he's naturally a centre back, but he can play right back, defensive midfield, or you know, right midfield at a push. Um, I think this will be a, a good move for him, uh, and, and Gladbach should really get the the best um, the best out of him. And it'd be a, f- a fresh start for him. I, I just feel like he never properly settled at Dortmund and therefore he wasn't able to show the best of him. And there's times last season I slated him and retrospectively might have been a bit harsh, but um, I don't think him and Dortmund were the best fit. And um, it was, more of a case of when, not if he was going to leave. And obviously, Bosch has come in and, and made the call that he doesn't need him, so he's moved on. And, and I'm glad he's gone to a club of, of equal stature, Gladbach are a massive side, um, real good pedigree and history behind them. And I think he'll he'll do really, really well at Borussia Park.
1: Manu, what's your opinion on Ginter's move? Uh, would you agree with Chris as good for the player and that yeah, maybe he just didn't really fit in at uh, Dortmund? It's
3: a strange one to me. I think that Ginter is, has all the tools to be a very good defender. And I never quite understood why he wasn't appreciated at Dortmund. I know there's some stats that highlight that he, he made some mistakes, but he isn't exactly a defender that, you know, is uh, a defender that makes a ton of mistakes either. And the way Dortmund play in defense, you know, you will always fall into that category of defenders to make a, make more mistakes than other defenses. I think he was ranked 18th or 17th. So that is not exactly high considering how Dortmund's defense was playing under Thomas Tuchel. And, um, I think given the amount of minutes he played, the amount of games he played, there was, you should have actually always looked at Ginter as a player who was a starting 11 player, right? But it's for some reason that never really was the case. And, I think some of it had to do with when he came into Dortmund and um that catastrophic last season under Klopp where they were in a relegation spot um at some point during the season, right? Um I think they finished eighteenth the first half of the season, which is when you think about it now is crazy, but it's true. That's what happened. And he he came from the World Cup, joined Borussia Dortmund and basically Got into a situation there, and I think he never really recovered from that. And despite playing big numbers, there was always, um, an air. There was always sort of a feeling around him that he didn't quite fit. You know, even if he played well, he didn't quite fit. And sometimes that happens, I think. You know, you, a certain feeling sets in, a certain feeling and attitude sets in, and you don't shake that. And obviously there is a big value about on, on, for Ginter because, you know, Gladbach paid 17 million euros for him, which is more than what Dortmund paid for him for Freiburg. Dortmund signed him for ten from Freiburg, so they're actually making money on his transfer. So obviously other sporting directors and managers and coaches around the league have still view him as one a a very talented young defender and I thought he was very good at the Confederations Cup as well. We spoke briefly to him after the final and he was, you know, he, you could sense that there was almost a sense of relief about him. So I think in a sense like that, it actually might be beneficial for him. I'm, I mean, Chris, I'm curious to hear your opinion about it, but I'm a bit worried that Dortmund, you know, defense was already a little bit of a weak spot last season. I'm a little bit thin. I know that Bosch likes to play with, um, four on the back. So it's not, he's not going to play with three center backs. But that's still, you know, if supportage doesn't stay, that still leaves that area a little bit weak. I know they signed Saga Du from France, but is that kid already going to be ready to play in big minutes? What happens if Troppa gets hurt or Socrates? There isn't really a big backup there, isn't there?
2: No, there isn't. And <laughs> obviously they've got players who have got center backs as a secondary position, but yeah, I mean, if Socrates, um Bartra, Sven Bender.
3: Yeah, Bender is always hurt though.
2: Always. Yeah, he is. And I mean, Sakadu is—he's only eighteen, isn't he? Is he—is he, is he going to be ready? Um, I mean, flip, flip that. Dembélé was he going to be ready? And he took the league by storm. But he's more of an attacking player. Um, yeah. It, if you look at the squad on paper, I mean, technically. There's six or seven um players that can play at center back, but I don't know if they're going to be as strong as they could be. I think if he would have stayed, he would have been more of, of a bit part player under under Bosch, uh, which is no good for him, especially in a World Cup year um, or a world Cup season um so for him, I think the move will be good for Dortmund I wouldn't be surprised maybe if they bring someone in, but I mean you've got top rack bartra bender if he stays fit. Um, Zakadu, so you've got Piszczek who can also play as center back. Um, so yeah, they may just have a look. Um, and um, Moreno as well, if he doesn't go, Michael Moreno, he can play center back if required. So there's a little bit of cover there, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it is a little lighter with Gintagon, but I wouldn't be surprised if they. Not brought in a like for like, but maybe another development player in that area. Or Bosch might just go, do you know what? I'm happy. Um, and we're just going to play the way that we always play, um, in Ajax. And he's just going to attack from the back. So he doesn't really need any center backs.
3: Yeah. The thing is, it- though, can Toprak play that? You know, Toprak is always a bit more defensive minded defenders. And so is Socrates. They're both workhorses in a sense. So you need to have someone who can play that. You know that that role that that Hummels played for for them before he left for Bayern. I guess that would be Mark Bartra, but you know Bartra is a question mark because you know he hadn't had exactly the best season last year either.
2: No, he didn't, and we'll see you know how he comes back from from everything that he went through last last season, especially towards the back end of it. Um, when we start off, but I would say that you were- just about okay in the centre-back areas. Um, if they get an injury early doors, they may be having to do a panic buy uh, before the window closes.
1: Well, Chris, uh, as we mentioned, that it's maybe maybe a little bit thin at the back uh, for Dortmund. Is there anyone in the Bundesliga or even in Europe, if you want, that you think would be a good addition and realistic addition for them?
2: It's getting to that time now where you decide to go back to pre-season training and um, German markets exceptionally active pretty much as soon as the season finishes, those deals are already negotiated in place. So, um, you know, contracts are, are signed as and when from the 1st of July. Um, as you know, I think before the window opened, there'd been something like 25 to 30 transfers um, and, and coaches have already said, and sporting directors have already said, you know, we've got our squads together. Now this is it. We're ready to go into the new season. So, and I mean, they could. Dortmund can attract anyone they want. It's whether the teams around them are willing to let their players go. Now they're starting back in pre-season. That's the biggest fear I could have for them is that if they identify um, a centre-back or identify a defender, let's just pluck one out of the air and say Jonathan Tar from Bayer Leverkusen. Would they want to let him go right now? Because they're all they're all back started, and you have to get to that point where if you if you're buying him one or two weeks, then you haven't really got the gelling that goes on before they start playing again. So they're in a little bit of a, a topsy turvy time, and they could sign whoever they want at the end of the day, Bryce. Because of Borussia Dortmund, it's whether the teams um, that they want to pinch from will be happy to sell at this particular time.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Germans do like to do their business uh, early, it would seem, in the uh, transfer window. Uh, but I would say that we'll still see a few twists and turns as uh, time goes on. Uh, one that seems to be uh, dragging on a little longer than was uh, originally expected is Anthony Modest. Um Is he going to China? Is he... You know, you know is he not is he we, we don't seem to know and there seems to be tax issues as well now manu doesn't there um what what exactly is the latest on anthony modest
3: uh, the latest was that you know last podcast the news does that he is not going to go and uh yeah now he is going um the Köln received a second offer um, from the chinese An offer that was supposed to be paid in one swoop, you know, not, um, different tranches like they like to do in China. German clubs don't like to receive, um, money by, you know, two or three payments. They want to have one payment and that's it. So they came back and they, they offered to pay it all in one payment. Um, apparently the, the problem with the, the problem with the agents was so solved for the most part. The agents um, wanted to get some money um, out of this deal as well, and uh, they wanted Cohen to pay for it uh, and not the Chinese. So, um, you know, that problem apparently is solved as well. And um, Modest has actually signed a contract with Tianjin Quan Yin, and still is under contract at Köln because Köln have not dissolved their contract with Modeste yet because it seemed to be all done and dusted but Modeste has now asked Köln to uh, take out an insurance on German tax demands. Now, this sounds a little strange and uh, I had to
2: really... That's probably because it is.
3: It is very (laughs) strange and I had to actually research this a little bit because... I didn't really know what they meant by this, but he is actually going to leave his family and his house in Köln. He's not going to sell his house and he's going to, his club in China is going to pay his flights to go back to Köln on a regular basis because he wants to keep living in Köln. Don't ask me how that's going to work. Um, I looked it up. It's a nine hour flight between Köln and China. I guess if if you're into that kind of stuff, you can do that every couple of weeks. But that's what he wants to do. The problem is they it's the tax laws between China and Germany are not very clear. So if he can't prove that he spends the majority of the year in China, he will have to tax his income in China and in Germany. Now he of course doesn't want to do that because all of a sudden the 11 million euros that he gets from the Chinese club shrink to next to nothing if he has to tax them to both countries, right? So he wants to have Köln take out an insurance, again this is so strange, on having to pay, against paying taxes in Germany, and he wants Köln to pay for it, and uh, Jörg Schmatke sporting director of Köln, big surprise, said no.
1: Well yeah, it all seems like a bit, bit of a mess, I think Chris is right in saying that it's very weird um, Chris, have you ever heard of anything like this?
2: No, not at all. Never. <laughs> um, I I want you to sell me to this club. Oh, but I want to live here, and I want you to pay my taxes, or you want you to take some insurance out so I don't have to pay any taxes after I've left. Well, you, Colona, perfectly. Right in their stance. Once he goes, he's nothing to do with them anymore. So why would they want to take out some insurance just so he can, you know, leave his wife and his kids in, in Cologne? If, if he wants to leave them there, then there's, there's better ways of doing that. He could transfer everything over into his wife's name for a start. So he doesn't have a house there. That won't have, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. And it all comes, um, Agreed to the wrong word, but it all comes from, from the agents trying to get him the best deal, um and for some reason they're trying to lean on Cologne to pay an insurance waiver so he doesn't have to pay any tax, which is one of the most ridiculous things I've heard in football full stop, not just German football, in football full stop.
3: Yeah, it's a funny one. I I, I had to I had to really research it because um you I didn't even know there was such a thing as an insurance for taxes. Apparently there is. Um But there's another issue now. He is under contract at both clubs now, right? Because when you do a transfer, your club actually has to dissolve your contract. He went to, apparently he already signed the papers to the Chinese club and then went to Kerr and said, oh, by the way, I've already signed a contract there. But before I dissolve my contract with you, I want you to take out this insurance. Now, this could have some ramification because FIFA um doesn't, Allow you to be under contract with both clubs. So if Köln say no to this, he would be still under contract. He would be under contract breach. And that would actually mean that FIFA could investigate him for contract breach. And we, you know, we all know how serious that can be from the Hakan Kalanoklu case that we had to deal with earlier in the year. You know, Hakan Kalunoglu of course, got a six month ban for a contract that he signed as a 17 year old with a Turkish club and never honored. So he's in a bit, I think he's digging a bit of a hole for himself, to be honest.
1: And do you think that this is going to affect, uh, Cologne's transfer dealings this summer? They may have players uh, lined up expecting to have already had this money. Uh, you were, I, I would imagine, right?
3: I think they're fine because, you know, they, for the first time ever, they're without, they're debt free and the new television contract has kicked in in Germany, which is quite significant. So, I think it's double for them, and uh, their good result last season means that they're getting forty-five million euros from the television deal alone. And if you don't have any club debts, then you know that doesn't that you can be easily um, afford keeping Modesta and sign players. And I think they made um, twenty million euros of profits on transfers over the last two seasons, and they only spent about half on that. So there is money; they they don't care. If Modesto is going to end up staying, that's, I don't think that's going to be a major issue for them. They already signed Córdoba from Mines for 17 million euros, which is a big transfer for a young Colombian striker. So, you know, I don't think they care. They, If they get Modesto's money, then I they think they're going to be happy about that. And there's big talks about them expanding their stadium. So they're putting going to just put that in the rainy day fund. And if they don't, then, you know, they'll just keep him. But, I mean, currently it's a bit of a mess because... You know, we all thought, "Now what? Well, he's going to be gone." But um, then uh, he throws another one at them and makes this transfer even more complicated than it already was. And
2: but if he's already signed for the Chinese side and he doesn't go there, then they will—I would presume or I'd assume—that they would lodge a complaint with FIFA, so it'd be investigated okay. then as well.
3: Oh yeah, he's in—he's in trouble. I think, you know, in the end of the day, it will just boil down to it that he will just have to accept. Köln will not do it, and I think I expect the deal will go through. It's just, I think it's such a great example because he's such a journeyman. He's always moved from one club to another, and people have obviously always made money off his transfers. He's always stayed at a club for about two years, and he's always improved, you know, as a player, but it's a soldier of fortune is made the wrong term, but he's definitely someone who, you know you know, follows the money trail. And it's it's the kind of transfer story that really displays the dark sides of the football transfer world these days, because we're talking about insurances, taxes, China, tons of money, more money than a player of his level, and I don't care that he scored 25 goals, it's worth, and two or three agents that are coming from his family circles, um, a player who always doesn't know the real financial situations, and I... I I don't know the exact details, but it feels like he, he is not exactly in control of where he's going and what he's doing. And, um, it is, it is a bit of, a, it's, it's a story of, you know, how the transfer world has developed and how players are basically being shipped around and becoming a commodity, but also at the same time, just looking for the next big, you know, paycheck. And yes, I understand the professional players, but this is, this is a point we know where it's, where it's almost becomes ridiculous.
1: But as you said, you, you can see the deal going through in the end, but I suppose it's just not with the tax breaks that he wishes, right? Oh, yeah. I think, that, I think there is
3: a solution. I mean, he signed a contract with Tianjin, and Chris is right. If, they, if he doesn't honor it, he's set to lose a lot more than you know, potentially paying taxes in Germany.
1: Yeah, we'll just have to see how that one pans out. But I would say that you guys are right. I I can't see him getting any type of tax break like that. Just absolutely ludicrous, to be honest. But um, anyway, we'll, we'll stop talking about um, that madness. I'm sure we'll have an update uh, soon on it. But, um, but another player that's uh, moved, uh, leaving the Bundesliga, would be Douglas Costa. He's, he's finally left uh, Bayern Munich. But, uh, Chris, this is... Am I right in saying that this is a loan move, uh, with a, a deal could then go through after that?
2: Yeah, that's exactly that. So it's a loan move with um, it's an option to buy, isn't it, at the end of the season? Um, it's it's kind of strange for me because he exploded when he came into the league at first. You know, when he arrived, he was he was everyone was talking about him. In his first seven matches, he had ten assists and one goal and. Um, he scored on his debut, he was doing everything right, he was talked about, um, you know, one of the best left-wingers in, um, not just in Germany, but in Europe, and that Bayern had unearthed the treasure, um, you know, when they got him, and he he played that season, he had a little bit of an injury in his first season, but he played the majority of that season um, in both the uh, league and the Champions League, and he's just sort of seemed to have fallen out of favour just a little bit, and... Yeah and early on in the season just gone he had his hamstring injury and he had a little bit of a knee injury but he was he started to become a bit of a bit part player under um Ancelotti and, and especially last season and yeah it's um, it's no surprise really I mean the last few games he was left on the bench uh, he was on the bench against Mainz and Wolfsburg and left on the bench for the last day against Freiburg um so I think probably Bayern have moved on but yeah it's just it's just an example of how players can arrive from a different league and just set the league or set the Bundesliga on fire and, and be like, wow, where's this guy come from? He's unbelievable. And then, you know, as time goes on in six to eight months, it's a complete role reversal. and, I would have seen him staying for years and years, especially after the first um, half season when he arrived. You you were, yeah, this guy's a Bayern Munich player. He's going to go and win trophies. He's probably going to go and help him get on and go and win a Champions League in the future. And it all just seemed to have fallen apart a bit, which for him must be terrible. Um, and also for Bayern, because I think they thought he was going to be one that was staying for a few years as well. I'm certainly sure that um, they didn't think he'd move on this quickly, Manu, would they?
3: Yeah, it was really all last season, wasn't it? Because he did quite well under Pep Guardiola. And um Carlo Ancelotti, you know, we had Susie Schaffer and she is not the biggest fan of Carlo Ancelotti. And one of the reasons was that he wasn't really good at getting the best out of Douglas Costa. I still think Douglas Costa is a good player. And I think that Carlo Ancelotti sort of struggled bringing in younger, younger players to put a little bit of heat on the likes of Frank Ribéry and... I and Robin and, um, Douglas Costa, I mean, I thought when he was, when he came to Bayern after he played at the first half season there, he would be the future. And now, I mean, uh, we, we just got the, the message through that the, the deal is pretty much done. It's, um, a loan to buy deal, as they call them in Italy. It's, um, it's a way to not right away, um, have the player register. As, um, as a player, you know, Juventus have some problems with the non-EU rules in Italy. There's, um, only two non-European Union players you can buy from abroad every season. Uh, so, you know, and then they had to figure out a way to, um, make the deal financially viable. But apparently it's, it's going to be a 35 million euro deal all around. So Bayern are actually making money on this transfer. They bought him for 30 million euros from Schachter Donetsk. I, I think it's, it's a little bit, Sad to see, see it happening because, you know, we all, we all expected that it would go better, but sometimes, you know, the chemistry isn't there. And, um, I think Carlo Ancelotti, we all know that this is next season is going to be a tough one for him because he will have to show that the decision he's making now and building the squad and trying to win not just the championship, but maybe even the Champions League. That he, the decision he has made, um, last season and over this, uh, transfer summer that they are the right ones. And I'm curious to see what, what Bayern are going to do. I'm really curious to see what this will mean for Serge Gnabry. There was a lot of talk about him being loaned out to get playing time for another season. Uh, Hoffenheim, he seemed to be the likely target for that, for a loan deal. I'm curious to see if they're giving him now the chance to maybe play right away, big amount n- minutes or if they are going out, um, there's, there's still a little bit of hints and talks about Alexis Sanchez. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. But I think, Chris, Chris personally, I believe that Carlo Ancelotti will have to ask some. We will, will be asked some tough questions if Douglas Costa will work out in, at Juventus.
2: And the the fear that I would have if I was a Bayern Munich fan is he wasn't able to bring Costa on. Um, is he going to be able to do that with Gennarby? Because we've talked at great length in, on previous pods where Carlo Ancelotti is a type of manager who comes in and he takes over established players and he guides them to Champions Leagues and he guides them to leagues and he guides them to domestic cups and he is a guaranteed winner with a very very good side. I think. How is he going to be able to develop these young players that Bayern are having to bring through now? Um, because obviously their older guard are either getting too old to play, or on the fringes are too old to play, or they've just retired. And I fear now that with Bayern a, a little bit of a, a more youthful squad with some uh, younger players coming in, I don't know if Ancelotti's got that in his in his locker to be able to develop these guys and. And it could be a real sense of, um, of changing tides. If you look at the likes of, uh, Leipzig, uh, Leipzig, if you look at the likes of Dortmund and Hoffenheim, who seems to be the, the complete flip side of that. They're a, they're a young squad with young managers who are able to play excellent football. And I think with Costa going, and if it is going to be that step, so we all know what a raw talent he is. And he's an absolute talent. We saw that when he played against San Marino. and We've seen that when he's played throughout the back end of uh, last season. It's just. Can Ancelotti develop him to get the very best out of him? I'm unsure if he can. Yeah, we
3: had an interesting conversation with someone who does scouting work um, a bit, Um, Thomas Farines, who's part of the Football Ground Network. And um, we had a long conversation about this, and he's followed uh, Carlo Ancelotti quite a bit throughout his career. And we said, um, has Carlo Ancelotti ever developed a talent? from the academy to a big player. And we both thought and thought and thought. No, he hasn't. He's never done it. He's never brought in a player from the academy and turned him into a superstar. And that's, that's his philosophy. You know, he's, he's done very well as a coach. He's a very good coach, but he's not a coach to bring players up from the academy. And Bayern have a few very good players in their academy. Um, and, you know, they, Bayern expect those players to be integrated because that's the German way. You know, Bayern are not, despite being the biggest purchaser in German football, they're not a club that spend crazy money like the likes of Barcelona do or Real Madrid or the big English clubs. They just don't do it. It's not part of their philosophy. Spending 40 million euros on Tuliso, that's big money for them, right? That was their biggest transfer ever. And that's because they they know that they can they can supplement their very strong or traditionally strong youth academy with players from abroad, and that's something that has fallen under the wayside under Pep Guardiola and now now Ancelotti. And Guardiola at least brought in Kimmich, right? He managed to integrate Kimmich as a young player, and I wonder if that is that is the approach that's that's going to be sustainable for them with Carlo Ancelotti. And I think that's something that he will maybe have to show them this year. Then, you know, there's, there's a young defender, Felix Götze, who's, um, who's banging on the door to get into the first quarter. So of course, Mario Götze's younger brother. Uh, there's a young American named Telemann in this, in, in Bayern's youth academy, who they believe a young German American who they believe could be a very, very good player in the future. And I think he, in the short term we will have to sort of integrate them and then of course some of the players assigned you mentioned Gnabiris but Niklas Süle, he will need playing time to develop and I, I'm wondering if Ancelotti will give it to him and I think that's something that he, you know, that's a question he will have to answer to the Bayern faithful but also Bayern's management that want to have a strong German face and have that that that, that foundation being young German players and Players from from the region um, at the club. So I think that's something that this season um, he might have to change his mantra a little bit.
1: Well, do you see it also uh, affecting the likes of Kingsley Kuhlman and uh, Renato Sanchez? You know, the fact that Ancelotti's at the you at the helm i mean do, do you see him allowing these players to flourish or do you think they're gonna to have to wait maybe one year one more year until a different manager different coach sorry uh, does come in
3: yeah maybe uh, i I think Kingsley Coman's buy and spend a lot of money on him you know that was a loan to buy deal where they had the clause and to to activate the clause that was 20 million euros again that doesn't seem like a lot of money in England it's a lot of money in Germany even for Bayern and they paid I think five or six million euros for to loan him in the first place so this is a this is a young player that they paid 26 million euros for you don't spend that sort of money on a player like that without having the expectation that that player will do very well and it's now up to Ancelotti to make sure he will do really well.
1: And you know, what about um the possibility of uh Alexis Sanchez? I mean he's been linked with uh Bayern for months now you know, well before even the transfer window opened up um is Chris is this um seemingly dead, or do you think maybe because uh cost has moved on then then all of a sudden it might be a possibility
2: again? I think this has been um, flat out said that it's, it's not a deal that's going to happen. And then various members of the Bayern higher management have spoke on it. Um, I can't see this going uh, anywhere else now. Um, I can't see Alexis Sanchez signing for Bayern Munich at all now. Um, not with the, the words that have come out of Bayern. It's, it, they have said it, the deal's dead. Yeah, €20
3: million Euros he wants per year. Plus Arsenal not- Arsenal want €90 million and
2: they're not going to pay that
3: they're not stupid he's not worth that much money that's 190 million euros for a five-year deal that's that's crazy money um no player in the world is that much money and i don't care how much chelsea or manchester united just paid for lukaku or how much they paid for pogba and how much money is floating around and that's no money no player in the world is worth that much money it's not a return of investment and um I just, Bayern are not, Bayern are not, Bayern are a lot of things, but they're not stupid and they're not going to go for that.
1: Yeah, and I would say that one of the other clubs that were interested or rumored, will we say, not interested, uh, rumored to uh, be going for Sanchez as well, was Juventus and probably with this deal in place as well, even though they haven't bought him, that probably kills his chances as well. So, uh, I don't know whether they'll be going anywhere but we don't care he doesn't play in the Bundesliga so we're going to move on um, a, a player that's just uh, extended a deal we've just uh, seen today is uh, Sandro Wagner at uh, Hoffenheim uh, I mean he always looks fantastic he looks like a pirate going up and down the pitch doesn't he with that facial hair but he's he's had a, a fantastic season I think for them and um yeah, yeah, this is only good news for Hoffenheim. I think he's, he's going to be very useful, provided uh, they get into the Champions League, obviously by the playoff. But I, I think he could be a, a great man to have up top for them in that campaign. Chris, how uh, how important do you see Wagner at Hoffenheim?
2: Well, he was very important for them last season, and Nagelsmann said himself that he had new components when he uh, when he came into the team. And, um, you know, he added new components to the game, was the exact words. He said. Um, you know, he's a busy guy. Um, and I believe he's a very big character in the dressing room. And you've been underlined by the fact that he signed this improved deal. And, um, I, they need this, they need his sort of presence if they're going to get through, especially what will be a very tough Champions League qualifying round. And, um, I was a little disappointed by his, um, Confederations Cup. I thought he looked a bit tired and rusty. Um, but, you know, once we've talked a little bit earlier about, Bayern Munich youth players not being given a chance. And he's another one who, who didn't really get a shot over at Bayern and, and was a little bit of a journeyman, made his way through some you know, different type of clubs. He was at Bremen and then Kaiserslautern and um, he was at Hertha for a bit and Darmstadt and you know finally um, got himself to Hoffenheim and, and he flew, didn't he, last season? I thought he was very, very good. I mean, at one point he was a self um, self-confessed best striker in Germany. And I think at that exact time, just before the winter break, he was, uh, I think that Werner overtook him towards the back end of the season and and definitely uh, at the Confederations Cup. But for Hoffenheim, you know, it is, a, it is a good extension for them. He's 29 years old, so he's got that maturity about him. Um, he's an out and out centre forward. He doesn't play anywhere else. He, and we saw him saw, score some great goals and some all around poaching goals, important poaching goals as well. Um, so and this is a really good signing, for, a really good re signing for them, a good contract extension, as I say, especially with a Champions League qualifier on the horizon.
1: Yeah, Manu, how, how big a player do you see him? For a Hoffenheim, and also um, how high do um amongst the German strikers out there? Obviously, he's a uh, rather confident in himself, and would say that he's he's pretty damn good.
3: Yeah, I think this is good for him. I, there was some talk that he might go to England, but I think that he wouldn't have had the chance to maybe play Champions League. Of course, Hoffenheim have to go through the playoffs, but. I think his chances are much higher playing Champions League with Hoffenheim than going to some mid-table team in England. And that's where he would have probably ended up. But I think he's the kind of striker who is not just important for the goals he scores. It's his frame, right, Chris? He's a really big guy. And so he makes room for players around him. And that's, that's something that Germany doesn't always need. Um, they used him against Australia. And I thought he was quite good in that role without actually scoring a goal. And then, you know, towards the end of the tournament, that kind of skill set just wasn't required anymore. And that's fair enough. I mean, he's a, for the national team. I think he could actually play a role even at the World Cup next year as a squad player, as a breaker, you know, someone who comes on and creates room for players around him. And that makes that makes him a weapon. And that's how Nagelsmann has used him. You know, oftentimes... Play up front and make rooms for the likes of Kramarj, especially in the second part half of the season, where, where his scoring rate went down because he had to play in a more of a, of a more of a role that required him to work hard and not necessarily be able to, you know, focus on scoring goals. But that's an important role that's you need that, especially in this three-five-two, where you play often with two strikers, where one striker is really just the room maker. And, um, I think he's quite good at that. So I think it's great that he's staying in Hoffenheim. That's a good home for him. And I think that Hoffenheim will be better off with him. And I think it will give them a better chance to play Champions League football because he has that bit of experience. But, you know, it's, it's nice. We want, we want to see players like that staying in the Bundesliga. We wanted to be able to talk about them and the antics. And, you know, Chris pointed out he, he called himself. What do you say? I'm the best forward in Germany? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
2: at that time he was. But yeah, I think his, his tactics or the way he was told to play is slightly different yeah. in the second half of the season because he scored uh, 11 goals uh, in total, but he only scored two in the second half yeah. of the season. Um, he had a really good first off.
3: I think he was still important though in the second half of the season, just in a different way, right? I mean, there was a couple of games. I believe it was the game against Bayern even where he worked very hard. But, you know, he wasn't important as a scorer. So he, he makes room for the very fast players that Hoffenheim have playing in that, that four attacking midfield. So I think, you know, great, good news that he's staying. Uh, I like him as a player and as a person. So uh, I can't wait for his antics next season.
2: And and in his defense, although he he did get most of his goals in the first half of the season, um in the second half of the season, that's when he got most of his assists. So he wow. wasn't just you know, in a goal drought. As Manu says, he was helping those around him. And he almost became like a very old-fashioned centre-forward, didn't he? He'd hold mm-hmm. the play up just outside the box and the attacking midfielders would bomb on past him. And if that shows a little bit of versatility to his game as well, which Hoffenheim will need to have in a Champions League this coming season should he get through the qualifier.
1: Yeah, I think you you always know what you're going to get from them. You have a player that's going to stick up top and just work very hard, and that's that's good to have at any club, isn't it? Whether your your tactics change and then you want to bring someone on to change it up. I mean, it's, it's great to have these type of players. And I think every club needs one, really. Uh, we're going to talk about RB Leipzig now, another side that have managed to get into the Champions League. They will not need a qualifier. They've been doing a bit of a wheeling and dealing as well in the transfer market, but, uh, they've, they've stuck to their guns in signing young players that they want to, uh, develop and, and want uh, them to uh, kind of flourish uh, and uh, on this occasion they've, they've managed to get themselves a French striker in Jean-Kevin Augustine, I think that's how it's pronounced anyway um, but um, yeah I mean th- we don't really know too much about this uh, guy do we Chris um, he's, he's played what 10 games in Liga. Um do, well, what do you know about him?
2: Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I don't, don't watch any French football. Um, but th- we don't really know much about, um, many Leipzig signings when we get them in because they've got an exceptional scouting network. And that's, this is how they get, um, players, you know, on the cheap. Um, and they develop them into excellent players. And, um, yeah, this guy's going to come in. He's 20, Augustine. Um, and he's, I, It's just going to be another one of those young French players that, um, the likes of Ralph Ragnick spots, goes in, gets, gives them to Hassan Huttle, and he will develop them into, you know, the next level. And that's what Leipzig's, I say their unique selling point is. They, they get players, um, from different leagues, um, sometimes leagues below on the continent, um, although he's come from PSG. For this particular instance, and they, they mold them into this attacking shape and quick transition shape. Um, and you can't knock them on their recruitment. It's been phenomenal, I would say, at times.
1: And Manu, what can you tell us about Augustine? Do you, do you know much about him? I mean, it, it seems that that's the Leipzig way to bring in players uh, and develop them, just like what Chris said. But can, can you actually fill us in a little bit more about him?
3: Yeah, I actually written an article on him today for com. And Augustine is a funny one because he's been popping up on various rumors he was heavily linked with Borussia Dortmund he was heavily linked with Hertha Berlin last summer he was then linked again with Berlin last winter and then he was linked with Berlin Leverkusen and Dortmund again this summer and then he ended up in Leipzig Uh, it's a lot of talk about a young striker who hasn't played a lot of football 189 minutes in league off it's not a lot he's got one goal. He played uh, a short he had a short stint short game in the Champions League against Ludogorets again just a few minutes played. So that's that's not a lot of minutes he's played, but yet there's a lot of talk about him and on his about his talent and his the level that he can reach and I think, you know, um the, the price tag of 30 million euros considering the few games that he's played. There, there, there is obviously something to him. And Ralf Rangnick is very good at spotting players, especially in France. You know, when you look back, uh, Dajot he, he bought him in France. And, uh, Nabi Keita, he was brought in from France. This year, Konate brought in from France. So he, you know, that seems to be the spot that Rangnick goes to. Rangnick is, is the kind of guy who identifies a certain country. And identifies that country as being the place where the talents he needs to play a certain style of football get developed at that, that stage. You know, he, the, at Hoffenheim and, and for a while there was, he was very into bringing in Brazilians because that was the way he wanted to play at the time. And right now France is the conveyor belt for talents, you know, just like Germany and Spain is. And French players have that very strong athletic ability. Augustine is, is a great example for that. He is, uh, what we call in German, Bordell athlete, a model athlete. And, um, I think that's why he goes after them. You know, we, we saw the way Leipzig play. They played a really high pressing, high intense game. Players need to be super fit to play it. And, so he needs players that can play that and French football does that. And I think that's why he went after him and was willing to spend the amount of money he was, you know, the amount of money he paid for him. Other examples are Bruma is another player, you know, who he bought from Galatasaray. It's another player who's very athletic and they need that because the, the one reference point that we always have is that game against Bayern. Where they took off Yusuf Paulson and Werner, who were two very athletic players as well. And their attacking play just fell flat. And, you know, they gave away a three, one and four, two lead and lost the game five, four. So they're strengthening their squad and they're making their squad deeper so that they can bring in players from the bench. Because next year it's going to be way more intense for them playing on two fronts. So they need a big squad and they need to bring in lots of players to, to make sure that they can play that, that style of football for a full 90 minutes. Two or three times a week.
1: And Chris, with the uh, different transfers that have come in, just like uh, what Manu has been saying here, um, and obviously with the Champions League coming their way next year, uh, do you think they'll be able to cope with it? I mean, it's a big demand. I mean, we've we've even seen uh, you know clubs with uh, with more depth really struggle with the demands of balancing uh, your know, European campaign and a domestic one. I, do you think that they're in the right stead for that, or do you think they're going to need another few players?
2: Well, they're bringing players in, aren't they? They've obviously identified certain weak spots within the squad or areas they'd like to improve on. And um, Augustine's come in, um, you know, pretty much just after Davy Selka's left and gone to Hertha Berlin. Um, Rani Kadira left, went to Augsburg. Um so um Conrad Um Lamer's come in from from Salzburg. Um not no longer a sister club, won't call them a sister club, they're from um Red Bull Salzburg. Um it's <laughs> I would say they've done some very good business. They've obviously identified that Selke and Kadira weren't quite at the level that they wanted to be to play in the Leipzig project and, and they've let them go and they've moved very quickly to bring in a couple of replacements and you know, they've had Manu said they've added the likes of um, Bruma from Galatasaray. Um and they brought in um, you know the the young lad from show as well, um Ibrahima um Conate, is that correct way to pronounce it? My French is awful. Um uh, and they've a little bit of you know a little bit of squad depth. Um and they've also said that you know no one's going anywhere, so they've got their established players and they're bringing new players in. You can only see that it's it's gonna go well. The only thing I worry about Leipzig is that they're untested on this um midweek um weekend constant trail um especially when we look to the September October November area the Champions League games are coming thick and fast uh, as are the league games and the domestic cup games and i think then we'll have an idea of the de- to their squad and if they've prepared well enough but as it stands at the moment um i would worry that they won't be able to do well on all um three fronts and they may just have to prioritize um one over the other and which one they want to do i think that's um, we'll, we'll see that for me this coming season If uh, Leipzig can get out of the group stage of the Champions League, that will be the best achievement they can get and then they can build on that the season after. Um, I would like to see them be able to push um, whoever's going to be at the top again, if it's going to be Bayern again, or if indeed it's them, you'd expect that they would be able to kick on um, it's going to be a very interesting season because as I say, Leipzig were just fighting on one front in essence last season playing on a Saturday, you know, Saturday or Sunday or Friday night occasionally um, and it's going to be a massive test for them this season but at the moment, the players they've brought in, uh, I think they're going to be okay
1: That's good, I'm, I'm hoping that they will be too because we know when they're playing as well as they can, you know, they they play some fantastic stuff and I've said many the times that I think there'll be a lot of A lot of uh, football fans, second team when it comes to the... uh Champions League, or you know, it'll be the neutrals' choice because they played some brilliant football um, a lot of the time, don't they? Um, Manu, if, if I just uh, put the, a similar question to you, um, we're, we're obviously speaking about you know whether RB Leipzig are going to be able to cope with the players that they've brought in in the Champions League next year, whether they're going to be uh, in, in good stead for. If we look at the other teams going into the Champions League as well, the likes of uh, Dortmund and Hoffenheim, do you think they've added enough uh, to? To you know, maybe have a strong enough side uh, to balance, uh, you know, a, a, a potential domestic um, title campaign um, or challenge uh, as as well. We'll obviously not talk about Bayern because we know that they've got plenty of depth and they're they're going to be okay, I'd imagine.
3: Yeah, I mean, the the big question mark is Dortmund and Alba young so we'll have to kind of hold off and see what happens there. Hoffenheim. I think they still have to do a little bit of work. I think they need to maybe bolster their back line a little bit and, um, you know, maybe their midfield as well, because they lost Rudy. Rudy. So I think, you know, there's still some work to be done. I, I, you know, German teams are usually done quite early in the business and then they identify holes and, in and, the, and the, the training, you know, in the training camps and fill those. So, but I think, you know, Dortmund, obviously, I think they're ready. The big question mark is Aubameyang, but, you know, it, it looks like, unless there's some crazy offer coming in, he will actually stay. And then, you know, the Hoffenheim and Leip- Leipzig have done some good business, and I don't think Leipzig are done yet. I think they'll probably bring in another player or two. But, you know, that's it's just July 9th. Um, I, I reckon in, in a few weeks, most German teams will have wrapped up their transfer business.
1: And then we'll be looking forward to the Bundesliga returning. Um, Definitely uh, having a look at those fixtures and trying to organise when we can all get back out there to do uh, some uh, live pods again. Uh, We'll definitely have something coming up for you guys um as well and organize as soon as possible i'd imagine but that more or less does it uh for tonight we've, we've covered quite a lot haven't we but no doubt we'll be back next week with uh plenty more to talk about as well we're gonna do um, a quick plug uh manu what have you got um going on this week that you would like to uh promote or uh, where can people find you online
3: yeah people can follow me at uh, Manuel F on twitter um you know tweet about German football mostly here and there, complain about transfers. So there's that. If you're into that, uh, go give me a follow. And then, of course, everything that we do here is uh, at Football Grad Live. And, um, we're still slowly but surely rolling up our uh, transfer businesses and covering stories from Russia and, and, uh, the podcast, you know, Football Grad podcast is back up and running on a regular basis. And Golazzo, there's a very good Golazzo podcast out that I missed, but Bryce, you did a magnificent job. Um, it's a very good podcast, so I urge people to listen to it.
1: Very kind words, thank you um yeah, on the Golazo podcast if you 're into uh, football uh Mexican style, uh, make sure to check that out we 've got a podcast coming each week, and the liga mx uh, campaign will be back in just two weeks' time. Very exciting. We actually had two new guests on this week that are going to make regular occurrences, so yeah check it out. Very knowledgeable fellows, Chris, what have you got to uh plug uh, or what have you got going on this week coming?
2: I'm just waiting for the Bundesliga to officially release the kickoff times for um, the first couple of match days and then I can put the finishing touches to a bit of a... um first half of the season look to not games of the week, but games that could be telling uh, in the first part of the season. So um, I'm awaiting those dates, probably more so I can book my flights and put my accreditation in for the certain match days that are coming up. Um, and then I'm just going to be a little bit more reactive, looking at some transfer stories if and when they crop up. Um, and and then, yeah, I'm also the host of the Anfield Index runner pod. So if, you, if you're a Liverpool fan, check that out. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Chris78Williams.
1: And, Chris, when will your podcast be out?
2: Um, it'll be out um, probably the same day as this, so tomorrow, Monday.
1: Magic. Uh, definitely check that out, everyone. Yeah, that more or less does it uh, for this week. I've been your host, uh, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at Bryce Dunn11. But, yeah, until next week, uh, we're just going to leave it there and say, I'll be Ich wart seit
0: Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved ones' doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits. Then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
1: We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D R I Z L Y.com.